Hey there, good to Margaret. See what's going on with my dispatch. Thanks for 310k, even if it's just law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant 24-7 like I have been for several years now. <sighs> anyway, so uh, my name's Chester and I'm a modest touch producer and uh, unapologetically pro-democracy everybody please go subscribe to Minus Touch give them 2 million followers and uh, you can follow me too across social media and please do sign my petition to run for sheriff and senate and judge if you're in Arizona Tucson especially Pima County. If you're in Pima County, sign my petitions. It's go.azsos.gov slash xrxj. That is for judge and for she rip. It is go.azsos.gov slash xww9 and for senate if you're in arizona it's go.azsos.gov slash v7dt and if you want to donate to me to help me in my struggle to get my pets back I'm a service animal, service dog, freaking pigs, freaking oinkers, wankers, wanker oinkers. They raided, freaking raided me, stripped us of, of all our civil and constitutional rights, and uh, falsely charged, arrested, and incarcerated us. And unlawfully seized all my pets for no freaking reason. They were perfectly healthy. It's horrific what happened. Anyway, thanks for the angels who donated. And uh, for some reason, the server's timing out. on this so let me try another one let's see here somebody commented on his post I haven't seen that's exciting <laughs> Trump is nursed after an entire life of co-conspirators of Giuliani is destroyed. That's a headline three days ago. Why is it three days ago? 
Why is it so old? Jack tests Cannon. Jack Smith uh, finally calls Judge Cannon's bluff in Trump trial. Okay, good. Finally. I'm 56, and my husband says I have the jaw and neckline of a 26-year-old. How did I do it? Well, for a written jury questionnaire, but specifically asks federal judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida criminal case. Again, I really like this move that Jack Smith is doing right here. He just filed a motion for a written jury questionnaire, but specifically asks federal judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida to accuse herself against Donald Trump for the willful retention of national defense information to start this process immediately to begin this jury questionnaire process by February 2nd, mm. if indeed the real trial date is going to be May 20th, 2024, which is the date that Judge Eileen Cannon has purportedly set the trial date for. Now, nobody believes that this May 20th, 2024 trial date is a real trial date. We all just think that Judge Eileen Cannon is keeping that trial date to try to protect Donald Trump from other trial dates happening in that time period. One way we know that is because Judge Eileen Cannon has previously rejected Special Counsel Jack Smith's request that she set a SEPA Section 5 deadline. SEPA Section 5 involves the a criminal defendant's disclosure of classified information that he or she or they intend to reveal in a criminal case involving classified information. It's the key deadline in SEPA cases. And of course, the Mar-a-Lago document case is a SEPA case. It involves classified information that Donald Trump stole, that he willfully retained. And by not setting a SEPA Section 5 deadline, a special counsel Jack Smith requested, how in the world are you really going to have your May 20th, 2024 trial date? So by filing this motion, it's a way for special counsel Jack Smith to try to smoke out Judge Eileen Cannon's true intentions. And if you want to talk about playing multidimensional chess here, think about why special counsel Jack Smith is doing this right now as well, because he is aware that in the Washington, D.C. criminal case, Judge Tanya Chutkin has temporarily stayed that case after denying Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment on the grounds of absolute presidential immunity. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has expedited oral argument January 9th, 2024 will be the date when oral argument on the, in the issue of absolute presidential immunity will be heard by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And the D.C. Circuit Court's also expedited the briefing. The last paperwork gets filed January 2nd. But what this means is that the Washington, D.C. criminal case may potentially be delayed by about 30, 45, maybe even 60 days. So you see that trial date, March 4th, 2024, probably gets kicked to mid-April maybe even may so as the washington dc deadline or the washington dc trial date creeps up against judge eileen cannon's trial date may 20th 2024 i think special counsel jack smith's going to be doing these maneuvers like we're seeing here to say okay judge cannon if you're really going to do that may 20th 2024 trial date jury questionnaires February 2nd, set a SEPA 5 section, a SEPA section 5 hearing. You have to do these things if that date is a real deadline with the hopes of basically calling Judge Cannon's bluff, proving that May 20th, 2024 trial date is not real, getting that bumped to some later date, or if Judge Eileen Cannon continues to engage in obstructive conduct, eventually tee this thing up if she finally makes some order that is appealable to go to the 11th Circuit 
Circuit Court of Appeals and say she's just not file, uh, following SEPA deadlines. There's no way to do a SEPA case when she's not setting SEPA hearing dates and deadlines. Take a look at the government's motion for written jury questionnaire. And that's why you have to read these filings with a discerning eye. And that's what we like to talk about here at the Midas Touch Network, the filings, but the maneuvering behind the filings as well. Because if you just looked at this and go, oh, it's a motion for a written jury questionnaire. Well, that's not sexy. That doesn't seem like a big deal. No, it is a big effing deal. And let me explain why. Let's take a look. The government moves for a written, this is before Judge Eileen Cannon in the Mar-a-Lago document case in Southern District of Florida. The government moves for a written jury questionnaire to be completed by potential jurors in advance of in-person jury selection. In other words, okay, Judge Cannon, you said a May 20th, 2024 trial date. Let's do the things like we are going to trial on May 20th, 2024, goes on to say, because the pretrial publicity surrounding this case is substantial, the government recommends a thorough jury selection process, including a written questionnaire completed by potential jurors before in-person voir dire. That's the questioning of the jurors. It's called voir dire. Speak the truth. A questionnaire, which is now a common complement to oral examination when selecting an effective impartial jury, will make jury selection more efficient and effective by allowing the parties on the court to identify uncontested strikes for cause and hardships before in-person voir dire begins and to conduct informed individual questioning of a winnowed veneer, of a winnowed down potential jury pool. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. When you are sleeping well, you can perform at your best mentally mm -hmm. and physically. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost energy, and improve your mood. Introducing Beams, cocoa, and sea salt, caramel, hot water, or it's previously set 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Midas and use code Midas at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash M-E-I-D-A-S and use the code Midas for up to 40% off. And now, back to the show. The government is mindful of the court's prior order that apart from the date set forth therein and the dates previously set for calendar call and trial, any further deadlines will be set after a scheduling conference on March 1, 2024. However, given the lead time that the clerk's office will need to implement a jury questionnaire, beginning the process after March 1 will likely not provide the court with sufficient time prior to trial. As described below, previous cases in this district in which questionnaires were used suggest that the clerk's office requires approximately 10 weeks time for the questionnaire process, which includes mailing questionnaires to potential jurors to be returned to the clerk's office in postmarked envelopes. In this case, that means a final questionnaire would need to be approved before on or about March 11th for a May 20th trial. As an alternative, the court, and it goes on to say some additional things, but in other words, we need to get the show on the road right now, Judge Eileen Cannon. And what Special Counsel Jack Smith points out is Judge Cannon's prior orders. Which prior orders is he pointing out in particular? 
So if you look at Judge Eileen Cannon's scheduling order, you take a look at it, you'll see that she set this May 20th, 2024 trial date. She says she's not moving that trial date at all, but she scheduled a March 1, 2024 trial setting conference. So Special Counsel Jack Smith previously asked for a SEPA Section 5 deadline be set, and this is what Judge Eileen Cannon previously responded back on November 16th, 2023. She denied it without prejudice. She said that Jack Smith's motion for SEPA Section 5, as stated in the court's November 10th, 2023 order, all previously remaining deadlines in the court's July 21, 2023 order are superseded except calendar call and trial. The court reset the first set of pretrial deadlines as indicated on pages eight and nine of that order and scheduled a conference on March 1, 2024 to address the remaining deadlines. To the extent the special counsel's motion seeks reconsideration in part of the court's November 10th, 2023 order, the request is denied. SEPA Section 5 deadlines and all other pretrial deadlines not included in the first batch of pretrial deadlines contained in the court's revised schedule will be set following the March 1, 2024 scheduling conference. So right then and there, it's clear if you're not setting a SEPA Section 5 deadline now and you're going to wait to set that for the first time when the parties arrive on March 1, 2024, then how are you possibly going to be ready with all of the motion practice that's needed to go to trial on May 20th, 2024? You are not. But here, Special Counsel Jack Smith saying, okay, we hear you there loud and clear, Judge Caddy. You don't want to see for Section 5. We'll deal with that. But I also want to try to smoke out and prove that there is no way that this is getting done on time. Let's start with the jury questionnaires. Judge Cannon, it's clear that if we want to go through the process that mostly all judges go through here now, especially in high-profile cases, those, those jury questionnaires need to start getting out in the next two months. Cool? Are you good with that, Judge Cannon? And what does Special Counsel Jack Smith expect her to say? I think Jack Smith will expect her to say that she's not going to do that, um, because she's not serious about the dates. And she may say, I'm not uh, doing it for that reason. She may just say, we'll talk about it at the March 1, 2024 hearing. But what she'll be revealing is that that's not a serious date. Here's why it's important as well. If she does not agree to a jury questionnaire, if she does not set the seat for Section 5 deadlines, if she does not go through the steps that you normally would to set a trial date and all of the related deadlines, this way, by the time the case gets sent back from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals or maybe even the Supreme Court to Judge Tanya Chutkin, Special Counsel Jack Smith can then prepare a brief in the Washington, D.C. case and say, look, while Judge Eileen Cannon apparently still has this May 20th, 2024 trial date, we now know that that's not a realistic date. She hasn't set SEPA Section 5 deadlines. She's not doing jury questionnaires. She's not taking the steps as though she's serious. So, Judge Tanya Chutkin, you should feel empowered to set the deadline, to set your trial date before Judge Eileen Cannon's. That's the multidimensional game of chess that Jack Smith's playing, while Judge Cannon and Trump's lawyers are clearly playing one-dimensional checkers right here. So we'll keep you posted with more, but that's Jack Smith's move. Find out if Judge Cannon's going to set these questionnaires. Are you really ready for trial, Cannon, or are you just bluffing? Jack Smith calling. 
Judge Cannon's bluff. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch and have a great day. Hey Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. I always thought protein was good, but the truth is, not all protein is good for you. Let's see what else Midas Touch has. A recent major health breakthrough revealed that there's a specific protein that actually triggers arthritis pain by raising inflammation inside your hands, knees. There's a big shaking like O'Donnell. This is it. The other reason I corrected is they'll say, he didn't know his name. He didn't know his name. He must be cognitive. Don't forget, I do most of this stuff without teleprompters. They do. Biden. What? That is something that someone who is definitely not in cognitive decline would say. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Let's go over the lowlights of Donald Trump's speech from Tuesday in Iowa. He was speaking at Waterloo, and this speech was an utter disaster. It got worse from there. Listen to what he says here. Play the clip. It's crazy what's going on. They're ruining our country, and it's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when no, I said that, and quote. I never read Mein Kampf. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. You know, they're coming from all over the world, people all over the world. We have no idea. They could be healthy. They could be very unhealthy. They could bring in disease that's going to catch on in our country, but they do bring in crime. But they have them coming from all over the world. And he repeats the line, destroying the blood of our country, echoing Hitler again and again, and then having to say that he hasn't read Mein Kampf. I mean, what have we come to where this is even a thing? By the way, here Donald Trump says that the reason the stock market is booming right now is actually because of... And I heard somebody today say, uh, one of these uh, genius analysts, the stock market's good, the stock market's good because they think Trump is going to win the election. And I believe that's true. And whatever good they have right now is the fumes of what we left them. It's coming off the fumes of what we've left them. But the stock market is good because a lot of people think we're going to win the election. So that's an interesting thing. an interesting fact, I felt that, but I didn't want to say it, but I think we will say it. Oh, and by the way, on the recent episode of the Midas Touch podcast, um, Brett predicted that exactly. And just so you can see what we predicted back on December 14th, actually, so about five or six days ago, here's what Brett was saying. Play the clip. Donald Trump is going to say it's because of his policies about why things are really good in 2024. He's going to say it's because of his poll numbers. He's going to say, look at my poll numbers. That's why the economy is doing so good, because everyone's excited for Trump to get back. That's a great point. That's a great point. It's such a great point. Yeah, because when you understand malignant narcissism, when you understand the pathology, it's it's, uh, easy to predict his behavior. 
hear Donald Trump is talking about Washington, D.C. This is what he says. Play the clip. The streets, they look like, I mean, I drove into Washington a few weeks ago for a court case. One of the many, I should get to know it very well. Very, I can't get a fair drive on Washington. The whole thing is ridiculous. But, but for a court case, I'm driving over a road where it's almost all paper garbage. And, you know, you can see paper. I know paper. I know cans. When cans start to literally rot, when paper is rotting, it's been there for a long time. Nobody cleans up anything. The medians, the dividers, they're all broken and falling down. Again, that is something that someone who is definitely not in cognitive decline would say that was. Definitely not. Definitely not. Here, Donald Trump says that Democrats are fascists. Play this clip. The Democrats aren't. They're fascists. They're not. They want school boards. They want people to pick your children and do things with your children that are not even speakable. After having to say that he doesn't read Mein Kampf, but quoting directly from Hitler's speeches, or very close there, too, you have to say that. Wow. Here, Donald Trump says something about children not knowing what language they're even speaking. I, I, can you keep up with what he's even saying? I don't think he can. I don't think there's something to keep up to. It's just word salad, fascist, cosplay gibberish. Here, play the clip. You have children going to school speaking languages that nobody even knows what the language is. There are many languages in the world. They don't even know what the language is. And they're sitting in classrooms, and there's no room for our students in the classrooms. Oh, well, here Donald Trump talks to, talks about ripping away your health care. Play the clip. Because Obamacare, as you know, is a catastrophe for American families. Almost had it done, but then John McCain voted it down. After campaigning for 10 years to kill it, John McCain voted it down. Too bad. Oh, is it too bad? Praising Jim Jordan and James Comer. Play the clip. But actually, the Republicans, and, and Jim Jordan's great, and... Jamie is doing a great job. I think we compare all of that madness for a moment with President Joe Biden. Here was President Joe Biden honoring former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor at her memorial service on Tuesday. Play the clip. Equal justice under law is a noble, the noblest aspiration of humankind. And the aspiration of Sandra Day O'Connor, one that she pursued her whole life. The last justice to have held elective office, she was especially conscious of the law's real impact on people's lives. One need not agree with all her decisions in order to recognize that her principles were deeply held and of the highest order, and that her desire for civility was genuine her trust in the capacity of human institutions to make life better is what this world was abiding. And how she embodied such attributes under such pressure and scrutiny helped empower generations of women in every part of American life, including the court itself, helping to open doors, secure freedom, prove that a woman can not only do anything a man can do, but many times do it help a, lot, a heck of a lot better. Excuse my language, Father. And by the way, while Donald Trump was delivering whatever that was, there was the right-wing influencer event taking place in 
Phoenix, Arizona, called American Fest, uh, which is by uh, Turning Point USA or whatever they're called. This is what Ted Cruz had to say. Play the clip. Left is so bad. They're so unhappy. They're so pissed off. And by the way, if you were a liberal woman and you had to sleep with those weenies, you'd be pissed too. Are you having trouble paying for health care, rent, gas, groceries, and other bills? Then you've got to see this. Folks, it's pure, unadulterated <laughs> MAGA madness. And to me, as we look into 2024, I mean, it's really about normalcy versus chaos. It is about democracy over dictatorship. Called me old-fashioned, but I think it is just that simple. You got President Biden focusing on issues like, and by the way, not just the stock market. And let me be very clear, though, about the stock market for just a second. All Donald Trump would do when he was in office would be brag about the stock market. And legacy media would just push that narrative and tie the success of the stock market to Donald Trump's uh, time where he disgraced the president. You shouldn't do that. But they would give him every favor in the world. Do you remember that right before COVID hit our shores, Donald Trump signed a uh, stock market chart, sent it to Lou Dobbs, and then and right before COVID hit, and then the stock market tanked the very next week. Do you re remember when all of that happened? So I just want to be clear that now that the stock market is hitting record highs, when Donald Trump said that under uh, President Biden it was going to crash, it was going to be the worst, and all of these BS things, and President Biden doesn't get the credit for that at all, and the media moves on to whatever the next Donald Trump-inspired narrative is. Well, that was until the Midas Touch Network came along, but let's not talk just about the stock market. Let's talk about other economic metrics, shall we? Like how about the fastest growing GDP of any G7 nation? How about third quarter GDP was revised up to 5.2%? How about that America's GDP is growing faster than China's? How about we're number one in the world when it comes to the fastest growing GDP of G7 nations right now? How about uh, because of the Inflation Reduction Act, and because of other policies implemented, like the Infrastructure Act and other tangible steps that President Biden's taken, he's gotten inflation under control. And don't have to listen to what I'm saying. You can listen to Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, who explained that the root cause of the inflation was that Donald Trump put us in $8 trillion of more debt during his administration. He printed money like wild. But again, let's focus on 40,000 infrastructure projects. Let's focus on wage growth. Let's focus on jobs. Let's focus on bottom-up, middle-out. Let's focus on those metrics as well, because by those metrics, President Biden is doing a good job as well. And of course, the legacy media wants to focus on this or that. They want to tell us the story about why it is because the Colorado Supreme Court disqualified Donald Trump based on an insurrection that we all watched with our own eyes, one of the most humiliating and disgraceful days in American history, the legacy media wants to push a narrative, thrust a narrative on us 
that that somehow benefits Donald Trump, that being disqualified, that's a big win for Donald Trump. But then when it comes to President Biden's actual wins, benefits to the economy, lowering health care, lowering health care costs, lowering prescription drug prices, delivering for seniors, delivering for students. Oh, there is. How is that going to backfire on President Biden? That's what the legacy media is pushing. Enough is enough. When you watch what we showed you at the beginning of this video, that is pure madness. That's it. Just call it what it is. It's unadulterated fascism. It's dangerous. It's MAGA. It's fascism plus idiocracy. We are not going to stand for it here. We, the Midas Touch pro-democracy community. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. Hit the thumbs up button. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch and have a great day. Hey Midas Mighty, love this report? Then continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Elon Musk has done it again. Just in the last 23 years, he's made electric cars really happen. He founded PayPal. They launched a rocket that's 700 times cheaper than NASA's. But in this building behind me, he's done something that's bigger than all those undertakings combined. Trust me, that's not a statement I make lightly. But when I show you the force Elon has unleashed in this building behind me, a force expected to be worth $15.7 trillion, you'll understand why Bill Gates is comparing it to the personal computer, the internet, and mobile phones. Forbes says it is set to unleash the greatest profit engine in history. And Google's CEO says, What's behind this project is more profound than fire or electricity. My guess is, you're thinking there's no way something like that is unfolding right now. No way that it's moving with unbelievable speed, as the website Digital Trends is now saying. But today, I want to pull back the curtain for you and shed light on $15.7 trillion force. I'll show you why it's poised to mint new millionaires, even as Goldman Sachs predicts that it could cost 300 million jobs to disappear. And most importantly, I'll show you how you can be on the winning side of this revolution. Hi, I'm Eric Fry. I spent the last 30 years working in Silicon Valley and Wall Street as a broker, entrepreneur, analyst, and hedge fund manager. So this is not the first time I'm going public with a warning. For example, back in the year 2000, I warned everyone that the dot-com bubble was about to burst. Those who listened to me avoided the bloodbath when the NASDAQ plunged 75%. I made a similar call in 2005 when I noticed another bubble, this time in the housing market. Everyone on CNBC to get the information out to as many investors as possible. And by doing so, I saved thousands of Americans from financial ruin when the housing market completely collapsed two years later. More recently, in 2021, I predicted the crash in tech stocks and advised my readers to jump out of the infamous ARK Innovation ETF. Soon after that, tech stocks crashed and that ETF dropped about 70%. In all, I have helped to alert investors to have crashes for 73 different stocks. Now, I'm telling you all this because I want you to take my warning seriously. This time, I'm not just dealing with another bubble or a potential stock market crash. No, it's much bigger than that. Because what's happening here in San Francisco will exponentially increase the wealth gap in America. And if you end up on the wrong side of this economic shift, you can fall behind and never be able to recover. But if you take the three steps I'm going to cover here today, you can end up on the winning side of this $15.7 trillion revolution. But you need to act fast, because as the website Digital Trends says, this disturbing new trend has been moving at unbelievable speed in recent months. That's why I just released a brand new presentation telling you exactly the three steps you need to take right now
prepared. This presentation is free to watch. Just click on the button below to get started. Surprising reasons why you can't go to the bathroom. Number one, you're eating tomatoes. The skin and the seed of tomatoes. That our desire for stability was genuine. And our trust in the capacity of human institutions to make life better is what this world was abiding, and how she embodied such attributes under such pressure and scrutiny helped empower generations of women in every part of American life, including the court itself, helping to open doors, secure freedom, and prove that a woman can not only do anything a man can do, but many times do it help a, lot, a heck of a lot better. Excuse my language, folks. And by the way, while Donald Trump was delivering whatever that was, there was the right-wing influencer event taking place in Phoenix, Arizona, called American Fest uh, by uh, Turning Point USA or whatever they're called. This is what Ted Cruz had to say. Play the clip. Left is so bad. They're so unhappy. They're so pissed off. And by the way. liberal woman and you had to sleep with those weenies you'd be pissed too folks it's pure unadulterated MAGA madness and to me as we look uh, to 2024 I mean it's really about normalcy versus chaos is about democracy over dictatorship. Calls me old-fashioned, but I think it is just that simple. You got President Biden focusing on issues like, you know, by the way, not just the stock market. And let me be very clear, though, about the stock market for just a second. All Donald Trump would do when he was in office would be brag about the stock market. And legacy media would just push that narrative and tie the success of the stock market to Donald Trump's uh, time where he disgraced the president. He shouldn't do that, but they would give him every favor in the world. Do you remember that right before COVID hit our shores, Donald Trump signed a uh, stock market chart, sent it to Lou Dobbs, and then and right before COVID hit, then the stock market tanked the very next week. Do you re remember when all of that happened. So I just want to be clear that now that the stock market is hitting record highs when Donald Trump said that under uh, President Biden it was going to crash, it was going to be the worst, and all of these BS things, then President Biden doesn't get the credit for that at all, and the media moves on to whatever the next Donald Trump-inspired narrative is. Well, that was until the Midas Touch Network came along, but let's not talk just about the stock market. Let's talk about other economic metrics, shall we? Like how about the fastest growing GDP of any G7 nation? How about third quarter GDP was revised up to 5.2%? How about that America's GDP 
speed is growing faster than China's. How about we're number one in the world when it comes to the fastest growing GDP of G7 nations right now? How about uh, because of the Inflation Reduction Act and because of other policies implemented like the Infrastructure Act and other tangible steps that President Biden has taken, he's gotten inflation under control and don't have to listen to what I'm saying. You can listen to Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis who explained that the root cause of the inflation was that Donald Trump put us in $8 trillion of more debt during his administration. He printed money like wild. So again, let's focus on 40,000 infrastructure projects. Let's focus on wage growth. Let's focus on jobs. Let's focus on bottom-up, middle-out. Let's focus on those metrics as well, because by those metrics, President Biden is doing a good job as well. And of course, the legacy media wants to focus on this or that. They want to tell us the story about why it is because the Colorado Supreme Court disqualified Donald Trump based on an insurrection that we all watched with our own eyes. One of the most humiliating and disgraceful days in American history. The legacy media wants to push a narrative, thrust a narrative on us that that somehow benefits Donald Trump. That being disqualified, that's a big win for Donald Trump. But then when it comes to President Biden's actual wins, benefits to the economy, lowering health care, lowering health care costs, lowering prescription drug prices, delivering for seniors, delivering for students. Oh, there. How is that going to backfire on President Biden? That's what the legacy media is pushing. Enough is enough. When you watch what we showed you at the beginning of this video, that is pure madness. That's it. Just call it what it is. It's unadulterated fascism. It's dangerous. It's madness. It's fascism plus idiocracy. We are not going to stand for it here. We, the Midas Touch pro-democracy community. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. Hit the thumbs up button. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch and have a great day. Hey Midas Mighties, love this report? To continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
criminal trial against him that's going to trial in March. And he's lost now, all within like, I don't know, 20 days. Immunity defense for the E. Jean Carroll second defamation case going to trial in just a month. We talk about it. We analyze it. We debate it. One place and one place only on the Midas Touch Network. Legal AF. Take a listen to the below. We talked a lot about the repercussions of uh, the reverberations, if you will, of the Giuliani verdict on the Trump defamation case. But one of the things that's paving the way for this Trump defamation case, Michael Popak, are some serious errors that were made by Donald Trump's legal team. Surprise, surprise. And failing to assert absolute presidential immunity in a case involving defamation while Donald Trump was in office by Trump's legal team is kind of a check-the-box, wink-wink error, if you will. To be clear, if you want to cite something or you want to assert an affirmative defense, it's literally a sentence in your answer. You just put, as for the third affirmative defense, Donald Trump hereby asserts, absolute presidential immunity, and then you can assert it. You don't waive it until the time of trial. You could bring it up on summary judgment. You could potentially even bring it up on the eve of trial if you've asserted it as an affirmative defense. But you see, Donald Trump's legal team, again, in in this E. Jean Carroll case, just a reminder, involves Donald Trump's statements while he was in office during press conferences where he defamed E. Jean Carroll. You'll remember, well, what were all these appeals about? The appeals were really jurisdictional. That was when Bill Barr tried to assist Donald Trump in substituting the United States government in place of Donald Trump, and that's what went up on appeal, whether or not the government should be substituted. So all of these appeals, Michael Popak, were over kind of the course and scope employment analysis about whether the government should be substituted in. But these appeals did not involve the other question Donald Trump's lawyers didn't assert absolute presidential immunity until like like months ago, like like not too far long ago, where they tried to bring it up for the first time when E. Jean Carroll amended the complaint just slightly based on the new statements that Donald Trump had made after the defamation case um, back in May when Donald Trump went on that so-called CNN town hall. And then the judge said, no, he can't bring up absolute presidential immunity on the eve of the next defamation case. You had three years to assert this as an affirmative defense. And your lawyers, when you were sued for years, year one, year two, year three, never raised this issue of absolute presidential immunity. You've waived it. We're not letting you even bring this up at the trial. So Donald Trump appealed that to the Second Circuit. And in a scathing order, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals said, waiver, you waived it. You can't assert absolute presidential uh, immunity here. And here's the thing, Popak, I want to get your take, too. As abhorrent, as despicable as Donald Trump's conduct was, this is an objective show here on Legal AF. He had a decent shot, not before Judge Kaplan, the federal judge, but I think before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, or at least the United States Supreme Court, actually make an absolute presidential immunity argument as it relates to the defamation case brought against him, because it is not a course and scope of employment argument. It is an issue of absolute presidential immunity. And if you go back to the Nixon v. Fitzgerald case, which is one of the preeminent cases on absolute presidential immunity, that case involved an unlawful act and unlawful retaliatory termination. But the Supreme Court said, If 
within the outer perimeter of presidential authority, hiring and firing, even if the president engaged in something unlawful or a former president while they were in office engaged in something unlawful, if it's within the type of things they do as Article 2 and it's not criminal and it's civil in nature, you are immune from civil damages. The difference in the Blasingame case involving the January 6th insurrection, why that's distinguishable, is that the conduct falls outside the outer perimeter, right, because it involves election and campaigning. Nothing to do with Article 2 executive authority there. But to E. Jean Carroll, Trump could have made an argument and said it was a press conference while I was in office. It could be despicable conduct, but it happened while I was in office. Former presidents, when they were in office, they engage in press conferences. They engage in uh, uh, interviews with the media. And I was asked these questions, and I could have seen the Supreme Court actually biting on that one. Thankfully, he weighed the issue, and now he's going to get hit with a, with a massive, massive verdict. And by the way, I want to be clear. I don't think he should have immunity for that. I think Judge Kaplan would have found that Trump does not have immunity for it under absolute presidential immunity. I think ultimately, though, a court of appeals or the Supreme Court may have disagreed and he had a shot of getting the case dismissed on that ground. What do you think, about, yeah, About the only good thing that's come out of Trump, Giuliani, Meadows, these criminal, criminal prosecutions and the civil lawsuits is that it's developing a new body of law um, that will now be used against them in the future or others worse than them or like them in the future. We have a now a well-developed body of law about immunity civil application, criminal application, and that concept that you just talked about, the outer perimeter, outer boundaries, sounds like an old 1960s uh, sci-fi TV show. Um, I used to watch a show called The Outer Limits. Uh, that is now in the vernacular for a good reason, because we've had a series of cases that have been now decided by at least the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in the land other than the United States Supreme Court when it comes to constitutional things like this. Um, having already made decisions, as you said earlier, the Blossingham decision, setting the outer boundaries of, uh, of misconduct that can, uh, if it falls outside those outer boundaries, be a subject of a civil lawsuit for tort and damage recovery. We have uh, the criminal side of outer boundary analysis when it comes to immunity that we're seeing now being developed through Judge Chutkin's original decision citing back to Blastingham that there is no presidential immunity for criminal conduct automatic. You have to go look at uh, if he was inside or outside the course of scope or if he, uh, his, his Article II powers. And then uh, we're not going to touch on it much today, but similarly in the same breath this week, we've got a, another appellate court, the 11th Circuit, uh, I would say struggling, but I don't think they're struggling based on the oral argument as to whether Mark Meadows was inside or at the outer perimeters outside of his federal officer duties in order to enjoy the ability to trigger federal officer removal to take his, his Georgia prosecution from state to federal court. And if the oral argument is any indication, and I did a hot take on this one, he is staying firmly in the Georgia state prosecution. That is the only great thing that comes out of the, the wheels of justice about I'd rather not have had the conduct to have had now developed all of this new line of immunity cases. But as you said, what we've now learned is that presidential immunity is something you have to use or waive. You have to assert or you've lost it. And 
we weren't sure about that before because some people might be scratching their head even on this show and saying, well, wait a minute, what's going on with the criminal case of Judge Chutkin? Why is that case stayed awaiting an expedited resolution of immunity either by the D.C. Court of Appeals or the U.S. Supreme Court on a direct appeal? We'll talk about that in the next segment. Why is that different? Well, it's different because you're talking about criminal rights. And, and if, if it's a criminal case with, with, uh, with the liberty of somebody, in this case a former president, at risk, you don't want to put him through the trial and then find out that he had uh, immunity. You want to because, you know, that's a pretty, um, uh, that's a pretty uh, serious uh, set of consequences if, if he had immunity all along. You want to get that thing decided early as to whether, based on the record that's been developed, he is either inside or outside the outer boundaries or perimeter of his presidential authority or powers before you go off and just pull a jury and start. Oh, Bob, can I say something? Just the one thing yeah. right there, though, and I apologize for interrupting, sure. is but still Donald Trump at least asserted it oh, yeah. on time. Later I'm going to buy about yeah, that people would like. He at least asserted it on time. In Blasingham, he asserted it on time. In E. Jean Carroll, he never asserted it. Uh, agreed. But but my, this, I was making a slightly different point, but I agree with you on that. This is the point I was trying to make. In 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 the criminal setting, it, it, I don't think it mattered whether when he asserted it. I think it, it divests jurisdiction, and the court has to decide at that moment immunity. We don't have to get to that because it's not really he asserted it. Can I ask you a question on that? Sure. I disagree sure. because, okay. okay, so you're telling me then you go through all of the criminal trial on the eve of a verdict, the jury's out, and Trump then goes, uh, you see what I mean? Can well, you that's go on the eve of, at any point in time on the eve of a verdict, you go through three months of a criminal trial, then can Donald Trump say absolute presidential immunity? I still think there has to be a, a moment yeah. where you have to declare it. Yeah, the, the good news, you're right. I, I agree with you. I think waiting to, like, while the jury's still out, you oh, wait a minute, I was the president. Uh, why am I here? I think you're right about that. It's not an issue that was in, or that will be in the cases that we'll talk about next involving Donald Trump. But as you get back to the, um, the difference between, I was really making the point of does it divest the court of jurisdiction or not? Because if it's something that can't be waived, then it doesn't, you know, um, the waivability of the issue is at stake in the Second Circuit decision about E.G. and Carroll. I just don't think that's the issue. Um, and he, yes, he raised it a little bit late for my liking, but he raised the right immunity issue on the criminal side. On the on the E. Jean Carroll thing, that was a complete screw up by Alina Hava. She got obviously she was handling the case for most of it. Joe Sacapina came in three months before the trial and and took over, but she was running the day to day show. She made a number of errors. The reason that the the blue dress coat wasn't used in the trial is because of Alina Hobbs screwing up in the timing of when she asked for certain things. Um, and I think she got confused when the two trials got separated and one got stayed and one moved forward. She had never raised in two and a half years, never, in her answer uh, uh, that there was presidential immunity in play. And as you said, uh, unlike in a state court proceeding, where you often have to put a lot of facts behind your defenses, all you have to do in federal court, it's a notice pleading uh, concept, all you got to do is one line, unclean hands, presidential immunity, uh, statute of limitations, latches, one line. That's all she had to do. And it was a mistake because she should have at least raised it so that the issue got resolved on the merits on the appeal. I think she was 
surprised, you and I did hot takes on this and played the audio of the oral argument, that she got caught so flat-footed. Her only argument then became, this could never be waived. It can't be waived. It doesn't matter whether we're late. Um, it, it, it's unwaivable. And, 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 the, and the judges were like, and it was written by Judge Jose Cabrera, but the judges at the time were like, I don't understand that. I can envision, can't you ever envision a time where a president, maybe not named Donald Trump, would be willing to waive presidential immunity in order to clear his name and try the case on the merits? And she said, no. <laughs> like, he's been accused of being a rapist. Don't you think he doesn't want to get out on an immunity technicality? He may want to you know, put on the evidence that didn't happen. And she was like, oh, can't ever waive it. And so that was already a loser argument. When they finally got around to ruling, we now have precedent. Because there's no, there's no uh, conflict among the circuits. We have the only federal appellate court decision on the issue, which is you can waive presidential immunity if you don't raise it early enough. And it's exactly the way you said it. How late can you let them raise it? You can raise it while the jury's still deliberating and go through that process and, uh, and two bites of the apple. So, no. He'll take that. He'll try to take that appeal, but he'll have to go through Judge Sotomayor, uh, who's the associate judge in New York who sits over the Second Circuit, and she'll either reject it on her own, like, no, or, which has been their habit lately because of all the, the flack they've gotten, understandably, because of their ethics, is that she'll refer it over to the full appellate panel, uh, the full uh, Supreme Court, and see if any of the nine want to, uh, want to take on that appeal or not at this moment. But we are watching, and we'll talk about it in the next watching that the Supreme Court is we're getting to the point where they're waking up and getting involved now with things related to Donald Trump that matter. Uh, but these are the stepping stones that are now the precedent that other courts need to apply unless they're going to do something different, set up a conflict in the circuits, and then the Supremes at some point have to decide it. We're running out of time. I mean, this is, I'm not talking to you, Ben. I'm talking just out loud. We're running out of time. This is January already, effectively. A trial in March, an election in November, things have got to move at a high velocity. Appeal, trial, decision-making, and the rest. And I think we're starting to see it with how the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is usually the first stop on this constitutional immunity presidential train, and then the, even the U.S. Supreme Court are saying, whatever we're going to do, almost like Bush versus Gore when in, in 2000, we got to do this quickly. You know, there was another oral argument before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in a case involving Michael Cohen, where Cohen was challenging the unconstitutional remand for purposes of Michael Cohen's lawsuit that he filed when he was remanded into uh, custody and put in solitary confinement because he would have waived away his rights to put out a book in, in 2020. For purposes of that, basically everyone stipulated, okay, assume it is a constitutional violation, is there a remedy? Because the right-wing Supreme Court over the past three decades has gutted a doctrine called Bivens, which used to find implied causes of action in the Constitution for kind of basic constitutional wrongs, the right-wing Supreme Court's been saying, well, Congress needs to pass a specific remedy on a specific point, or else we can't acknowledge implied causes of rights. So the, one of the issues on appeal is, does Cohen have a remedy? for the constitutional wrong that was committed. The only reason I'm bringing it up is that Alina Hoppe was arguing for Donald Trump and tried to assert not official acts immunity, but uh, absolute presidential immunity. So the Second Circuit uh, panel had questions for her, 
about the Blassingame case, right? The key case. And she goes, I, I, I have to check my notes. I, I don't know what the Blassingame case stands for. And then the Second Circuit panel goes, you don't know Blassingame? And she goes, no, I'm sorry, but I can talk about the Nixon uh, v. Fitzgerald case. And it's like everybody who listens and watches Legal Ass, you all know the Blassingame case. And blast, it wasn't like it was decided decades ago. It was decided two weeks ago. And it's the case involving absolute presidential immunity involving her client. It's, it's basically her case. And she doesn't know what Blassingame stands for, that Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity in civil lawsuits relating to the conduct involving the insurrection because it's, it's campaign activity or election activity. So she couldn't answer. And then the panel was basically like, sit down, Alina Hoppe. I think that's a good segue into now what the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is doing because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is the court that made the finding in Blassingame, finding that Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. Now, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, they're the bosses for federal judge Tanya Chutkin, the district court judge overseeing the trial that, uh, that special counsel Jackson is prosecuting Donald Trump for attempting to overthrow the results of the 2020 election that's scheduled for March 4th of uh, 2024. And Judge Chutkin says in a criminal case, Unlike a civil case, in civil cases, the doctrine of absolute presidential immunity exists. It is established. Donald Trump doesn't have it in January 6th cases, as the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said. But Judge Chutkin found for an independent reason that Donald Trump doesn't have absolute presidential immunity. She found there is no such thing as absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases. So Donald Trump, the for, for former president, Donald Trump is appealing that to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And as I've said before, there's now two independent reasons why this should be a no-brainer for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The logic by Judge Tanya Chutkin that how could you have absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases? That means that former presidents during the time they were in office could act as kings. They could do whatever they want. They could summon the military and have a coup. They could do anything and say, ha-ha, we're not responsible. That clearly can't be what the text, the structure, the history of our Constitution is all about. But then the second reason is blasting game. Donald Trump's conduct, while criminal, also relates to the January 6th insurrection because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals found that the insurrection conduct relating to Donald Trump, as alleged in the blasting game case, is outside the outer perimeter of absolute presidential immunity. He doesn't have it for that reason. So there's two powerful reasons right here that both go hand in glove. The one thing that I'm surprised Special Counsel Jack Smith didn't do, because Jack Smith's been super aggressive and did this, a few really powerful moves, I'm just surprised he didn't, and this could just be because he thought this could cause more delay, but tell Judge Tanya Chutkin that Donald Trump's appeal because of blasting game is frivolous to try to certify the appeal as a frivolous appeal from the outset. But I think Special Counsel Jack Smith knew that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals kind of knew that and would expedite it. So, right, Jack Smith did two things. One, filed a direct petition to the United States Supreme Court for certiorari, saying this is an extraordinary case. Certiorari or oral argument should happen in this term immediately before going through the normal years and years and years it takes cases to go to the Supreme Court, because this is so fundamental, so foundational to our democracy. Supreme Court responds right away, says, Donald Trump, you have until December 20th to respond 
to the issue of whether or not certiorari should be granted. So the Supreme Court not granting certiorari yet. They haven't decided that. That's the oral argument before them on the issue of absolute presidential immunity. But granting Special Counsel Jack Smith's uh, request to expedite the briefing. That's in front of the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, Special Counsel Jack Smith filed a motion to expedite.